without even knowing it are already under God's judgment. We, you know, we think things just happen. Let me tell you, not with God. Everything, everything is, is either permitted or it's planned by God, one of the two. And so God is in control of all of it. And the thing that amazes me is the fact that God hasn't already destroyed us. Because he, he sure got the right. Hopefully I'll get around to preaching some of those things. But for now, I'm convinced that God's put something else on my heart. And, you know, every pastor understands or should that he has a duty to preach about duties, Christian duties, responsibilities. But there comes a time when, when we need to put the emphasis upon something else. And I learned that lesson 47 years ago. And I had preached this message before, not the one I'm preaching this morning, but 47 years ago, I preached a message from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, which says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. I've preached that message since I've been here, by the way. But the impact that that message had that day and the comments that were made was a great awakening for me. I, it, it, it is a problem that I really, until then, did not understand really existed. And I could say a lot about that story, but I, I want to get right to the point this morning. You know, if a person is discouraged, they're going to fail regardless of, of their knowledge, or regardless of their abilities, or regardless of their opportunities. You get discouraged and they're going to fail. I think it was old Bob Jones Sr. that used to say, I've never known God to use a discouraged person. Now, we all get discouraged sometimes, but we ought to get out of it quicker than we got into it. There's no reason for any of us to live in a state of discouragement. That's dishonoring to the Lord for that to happen. And there's a thin line between disappointment and discouragement. And a lot of folks are discouraged, and there's a lot of things, you know, that, that, that has caused that. The troublesome times that we live in, it might be domestic issues, financial issues, physical issues, or whatever, but they are they're weary, they're worn, they're worried, and they just don't know what to do. They're disappointed, they're depressed, and they're just discouraged. And some, in fact, although not making a public announcement, some have just decided to give up just quit they feel that uh, their efforts are in vain it's not going to do any good to even even try so this morning i want you to turn in your bibles to the book of job chapter 23 my text this morning is in verse number 10 and i'm simply going to read through this verse and i'm going to comment on every every word and every phrase in the verse and then I'll get to the message. But I just want you to take notice of each word and each phrase. And then, well, we'll just, as I often say, we'll just kind of have a fireside chat about what's going on here. Notice the very first word. He says, but. That connects, and that connects this with the the context, and that's where, if you look back in the earlier verses and even chapters, where Job is expressing his confusion and his complaints. But, in other words, this 
something different. He has been looking for God, and he says, can't find you, Lord. Where did, where did you go? What's going on? He's got all kinds of questions, just like we do. And then notice he says, but he. Boy, that changes, that changes everything, because we know that he's speaking about God here. So we know that whatever he says is important. But he, God is up to something. God is doing something. But he knoweth. That's talking about God's awareness, of course. He knows everything. And Job is saying, in essence, he's saying, I can't see what God's doing in me, but God sees me. God sees me. God is aware of what's going on in my life. But he knoweth, in the next phrase, the way that I take. That's the situation that he is in. And believe me, God knows your situation, whatever it is. There's nothing hid from his sight. When he hath tried me, now I want you to, something really important about that phrase. It tells us that Job knew that God was involved and in control of all of his trials. So many times somebody will say, well, I'll tell you, the devil's just been working overtime. The devil did this to me. The devil did that to me. But look, the devil can't do anything to you unless God allows it to happen. And most of the time, you, you and I can't understand why God does what he does. He knoweth the way that I take. I know the situation. When he hath tried me, so he knows God's in control, God's involved. And here it is, I shall come forth as gold. That's speaking about the end result. That, that tells us, and the title of my message this morning is The Treasure of Trials. The Treasure in Trials. And that's what he's saying. He knows that there can be a treasure in these trials that he's going through. They can be painful, but yet they'll be profitable. Uh, pain, in other words, can actually perfect us in that it, as a way of removing the in, impurities in our life. And Job is showing us here in his story how we can manage our miseries. We can persevere in our pain. We can even overcome that which is ordinarily overwhelming. Things that we didn't think we could ever go through. And this story is so important that if we had time to go back to the New Testament, the book of James, you'd see that, that the New Testament actually sets Job up as an example for us. And I'll tell you, whatever else you say about a man, anytime the word of God says, no, there's a good example, you ought to follow him. You've done something. And Job had done something. Here is a man with everything seemingly going for him. Remember, he is rich. But not only is he rich, he's righteous. He, the Bible just tells us flat out there wasn't a better, better man on earth at that particular time. He was a righteous man. He was a rich man. Let me tell you, those two don't always go together. There are a lot of times that people, if they are rich, they have no concern about being righteous. I've heard people say, in reference to 
the generosity of, of, of rich people and it, you know, it might be a Hollywood star or a, a professional athlete or whatever, they got all kinds of money and you know, they would give a large sum of money to a certain cause and somebody would make the remark, you know, that, well, yeah, that's nothing to them. They've, they've got all of that money. It's, and you know, that might be true in some instances. But let me tell you, when you find someone who is both rich and righteous, who loves the Lord, you're finding someone that's rare because riches have ruined more people than it's raised up. That's what it does to a lot of people. Thank God for those that have been so blessed of the Lord that they, they are rich by way of the things of the world and the fact that they are righteous. And that's where Job is, but suddenly everything goes wrong. And remember, at this point over in chapter 23, Job has not yet learned the reason of what's going on back in chapter 1 and chapter 2. When it was going on, that is, he didn't know it was going on. This conversation between God and the devil. The devil said, you just give him over to me, you know, and uh, he'll deny you. All the reason, only reason he is following you is because of the benefits of it. So the Lord just allowed the devil to strip him of everything. I mean, can you imagine someone losing everything he lost and in, in a short manner of time? He lost his business. He was very wealthy. and All of the cattle, all, all, all of those were gone. But more important than that, he lost his children. Seven sons and three daughters. He didn't lose his wife, but she sure wasn't much benefit. I'm so glad I have a wife that that encourages me. The last words she spoke, she spoke this morning when I walked out, you laying there, and she said, "You better preach good." <laughs> I'd been in there. I'd been in there, you know, saying, "Does this look okay?" I wanted to look good, and I always get her judgment because it's a lot better than mine. But a thousand times I've heard her say, "You better preach good this morning." She's never said, just curse God and die. I don't care. Never. And in the times of trials and troubles and things like that, she's been there to, to support me. But here is Job with an unsupportive wife, all of his children. I can't, I can't imagine that. Bev and I still grieve the loss of one of our eight children. It, it breaks our heart, and we look at certain things that I'll not mention, but we look at certain things and it just reminds us all over. And there are those of you here that have lost children or you've lost your spouse. Or you suffered a great loss of some kind or another. And we need to remember what Job is saying here. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Do you know what he's telling us there? Well, you say he's telling us we'll come forth as gold. But I mean, really understand, here's the point of it. He's telling us that he was dealing with his present problems by considering the prospective profit. Are you with me? Those present problems that we think are of no benefit whatsoever. In fact, we think they're unfair that God must have made a mistake. We deserve more, bigger, and better than this. Why would God do this to us? 
And boy, if you just look at that, that little small snippet of your life, if that's all there was to it, well, maybe there might be a reason for some manner of complaint, but that's not all there is to it. We need to look at every problem, every difficult, every situation in our life, look at it through the prospective prophet that God can make it to be. In other words, you could say it helped Job to be willing to accept these afflictions by thinking about what they're going to produce later on. And you know, I think the same thing is true of you and I. It will help us to deal with these difficult issues that we go through if we'll stop and think about the bottom line, what's going to happen later on and how God's going to use those things. Helps us to deal with the difficulties, you know, when we think about what they're going to do for us. And without that, you know, we'd, well, we'd be, we'd be helpless to contend against all of these difficulties. We, we'd be terrorized by our trials. And there's some people that are like that. Even the slightest trial in their life, they're, they're, they're frozen, they're terrorized, they're, they can't even function normally, they can't smile, they can't laugh, they can't enjoy life, they're absolutely miserable as a result of it. But if we can get the perspective that Job had and realize that all of these things that we're going through has a purpose, there's a reason behind it. And all of this came together in a strange way for me. It happened while I was actually thinking about heaven and writing an article about, you know, the mystery of life. And, and I started it by saying that life is a problem because it's a puzzle. Life is a problem for us because it's a puzzle. And uh, that's more true than you might know. That's why over and over and over again we say, I don't understand. And I still say it to this day, I mean, before I even think about it, I'll say, Lord, I don't understand. And even before I say it, I know there's no reason for me to say it because I can't understand certain things. It's a puzzle. We're born into this world of not only it's a mystery, but it's misery also for us. And the confusion leads to all kinds of different problems. And, you know, man, we're inquisitive by nature. We think we've got to figure everything out when, if we could, we wouldn't know what to do with it. You can't make sense out of things in an upside-down world to start with unless you look beyond this present world. If all you're looking at is the world as it is, you're forever going to be disappointed and confused. And isn't it a wonderful feeling whenever you finally learn something? That is, to, you finally master uh, some mystery, and it, it gives you a sense of satisfaction, and especially whenever it deals with, with those pertinent issues in our life. Things are of great importance. The problem is, about time we learn some lesson about the time that we think we've solved the problem there's another puzzle comes along 
We think we've got it all figured out, and uh, we even tell ourselves, well, boy, I'll tell you one thing. I learned a lesson from that. I'll never do that again. <laughs> you better get ready to be put to the test because it's just a matter of time until you're going to be tested. I'll, I'll, I'll learn my lesson. I'll never do that again. Don't be too sure. And sometimes it's much later that we learn the lesson that we didn't really learn the lesson at all. And suddenly we realize that we were wrong and so we're left with these lingering doubts and things, you know, that we thought we were once assured of. And, and now we're not, not so sure anymore and begin to wonder about maybe it's the source of our information. Well, I shouldn't have listened to that guy. I shouldn't have read that book or whatever. So we question the source of our information or m maybe we take the blame and we just go ahead and blame our own deductions that, you know, or our experiences that we've gone through, whatever it is. And sometimes it doesn't make any real difference because the matter we're talking about is not any big deal. Boy, somebody put a scratch on my new car. Well, I'm sorry. But you know they can fix that. Say, somebody drove across my lawn the other day and left a rut. Well, they shouldn't have done that. You can fix that. There are a lot more serious problems for us to be concerned about than those petty issues like that. And yet... Over and over again, we find ourselves getting all bent out of shape because of something that in the long run doesn't really make any difference at all. And the only way to really get through this world with any kind of satisfaction and sanity is to base our beliefs on God's infallible word because it never fails. Now, go back to where I started here I was thinking about heaven and I was thinking about you know that all of the questions that we have now are all going to be answered then we need to think about that I I do and you ought to you know the song says I can only imagine that's not just the title of a song it's something that we ought ought to do as we think about heaven, it just raises one question after another after another because life itself is a mystery. But just try to imagine in the day whenever we'll be able to see what God has seen all along. Think about that. We go through the entirety of our life. Here's someone maybe that's born with a handicap. Maybe they're born blind, crippled, or whatever it is. And they go through all of their life, and they look at the other people that do not have those handicaps. And they think, why me? This seems so unfair. Why me? Or, or it might be that some, some couple lost a child. Maybe it wasn't even a year old yet. Hadn't even had the chance to experience life as we would say and we wonder why would a good God let something bad like that happen we have all of these questions 
But think about that day, what, what it's going to be like when they're in the presence of the Lord that we see what God has seen all along. From the moment it happened, God allowed it or appointed it, and from that moment, God knew exactly what it was all about. You know, we have a lot of questions about heaven that's not going to be answered until we get there. But heaven will also answer all of these questions we've had about life on earth. When we think about heaven, what do we think about? Oh, street of gold, gates of pearl, walls of jasper and all of that. We don't just learn about heaven when we get to heaven. We learn about the experience that we've had going through life. And for the very first time, we will see the past and the future connected. Connected as one. And we'll see how all of the pieces of that puzzle fit together. And imagine the surprises there's going to be. Things that, you know, to our natural mind didn't make any sense at all will suddenly make perfect sense in that day. When we see the big picture, God's picture, this upside-down world is going to be turned right side up. And just knowing what awaits us ought to enable us to accept whatever God allows now, I know most of us want to, we want people to think we're so spiritual minded that we'd never question God or anything like that. And that we're willing to accept whatever he allows. You know, after all, what else can you do? You'd be surprised how many times we're all guilty of refusing to accept what God allows. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because we complain about it. We lose our joy because of it. We mistreat people as a result of it. And it becomes obvious that so many times that God allowed something to happen and you don't like it and you are not going to accept it. But you'd be so much better off were you able to accept what God has allowed because then we know that it is a part of God's eternal plan. That that something bad is going to end up being something good. Our quest of trying to find all of those answers is going to be over in that day. And that's why we need to live in the light of eternity, folks. Live in the light of eternity. It's not about now. And I realize that I'm covering some ground in a message I preached shortly after I got out of the hospital. I hope you remember that. But I'm afraid a lot of people, you know, forget, forget what I've said in that regard. Because we think about living now's the time, you know, boy, I'm going to spread my wings and I'm going to fly. I'm going to, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, this is the only life I got and I'm going to live it up. Well, Boy, if this is the only life you got, you're in bad shape. I got a life that's a whole lot better than this one. It's an eternal life. It's a glorious life. It's a life where I'll be satisfied for all of eternity. And just knowing that, and that whatever bad thing happens here on this earth, knowing that God's going to take that and going to use it in a good way, 
energizes me. It helps me to be willing to, to accept it, knowing that God can't make any mistake. But now notice what Job says. When he hath tried me. Now keep in mind what Job's been through. I, I, I don't know about you, but I've never read of anybody suffering such great loss as Job did. I've never known, I've never known anybody like that. But when he says, when he hath tried me, that's speaking also in regards of what is to come. When he hath tried me. This is an indication, in other words, that God wasn't finished with him yet. It's an acknowledgement that there are going to be other trials. I don't know what they might have been. I have no idea. But as long as we're on this earth, there are going to be trials of some sort. He didn't say since he tried me, but when he hath tried me. He didn't say if he tries me, but when, because it's just a matter of time. And there's even more to it than that. Notice this phrase is telling us that God will not always be doing what he's doing at the time. That things are going to change. There will be a time whenever the, the trials are over. If you don't get anything else out of this message, remember this little phrase. Trials have a lifespan. There's an old, old, old bluegrass gospel song. It says, hard trials will soon be over. Hard trials will soon be over. Aren't you glad that these hard trials of life, these difficulties, these mysteries, you can't understand that one of these days all of those things are going to be over. And meanwhile, until that glorious day comes, we ought to do is what Paul says in Colossians chapter number 3, let, I'm glad that word let is in there because it, it tells us that we have something to do with this. Let, let it happen. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. In other words, you don't have to. You can go on in your morbid state and complaining about everything under the sun and mistreating people and all that if you want to. But there is the possibility of peace. And that's why he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. In other words, Peace is produced whenever, whenever we perceive that pain has a way of providing something of value. We can be at peace with that, right? Because we know that God's not through. There's another chapter to the story that whenever it's all over and we have vacated this sinful world and we stand before the Lord as a joint heir of Jesus Christ, and there, whenever the crowns are handed out and we hear our dear Savior say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Oh, listen, there'll be none of us look back and say, I still don't understand why you let that happen to me. There'll be no complaints then. There ought not to be any now. 
I, just, I, I, can't, I don't have the words. I cannot possibly tell you how badly I want each and every person here to get this because when you do, it will literally change your life. There was a sermon that, that literally changed my whole outlook on life many years ago. A sermon that I preached here on more than one, one occasion. And it had to do with this very thing, and that's training for reigning. And that what God is letting us go through now is all a part of the plan that he has for us. And I dug into 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and from that day on, that chapter has meant the world to me. I, I can't even describe how much that chapter means to me. Because you wonder, how did Paul get through all of that? How did he keep going faithfully to the very end? He said, I've run my race, and I you know, fought the fight, and now it's all over. And he knew he had been faithful to God, but How? Because he was not looking at the things that are temporal, but the things that are eternal. I'll never forget sitting in the home of a pastor. I was in a revival meeting. His wife was dying, literally dying. Had just a matter of weeks or a few months. And I'll never forget sitting there and it's not that I thought I knew anything he didn't know, but it's sure evidently something that she hadn't heard or thought of. And being able to just lay that out for her and to see that dying woman the best she could with her distorted figures uh, and to see her try to smile and to express her pleasure over God's truth. Our trials and our labor is not in vain. And when he tells us here about this peace, it's a peace that passeth all understanding, Paul said. I'm not talking about some pie in the sky and the sweet by and the by kind of Christianity. I, I'm talking about those hard trials, those difficult things that we all have to go through. And there's no way to get around them, no way to avoid them. And that tells us this, that we have to walk by faith. In other words, we have to trust what God says about it. That's what Job did. Look in verse number 15, just right Chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now, if a modern day preacher had been writing that, you know, they might have said, though he exempt me from troubles and trials and give me a good salary. But Job said, he, if he kills me, even if he kills me, I'll trust him. You see, those who walk by faith live in hope. Amen. And they live with peace. You know, maybe you're wondering, well, 
preacher, you know, uh, I, I don't understand how this story any benefit to me because you're thinking, well, you know, that's fine for Job and all those years ago, but you might be thinking, but it doesn't change my circumstances. And that's right, it, it doesn't. But it'll change you. It will change you, the truth of this story. Because this story shows us what God can do when we trust him. When we're willing to accept what he allows. J. Oswald Chambers said in a devotion many, many years ago, he said, I am certain of him, that is, I'm certain of Christ. I hope you are. Paul said, I know whom I've believed, and I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Amen. But listen to what else he said. He said, I am certain of him, so I'll be content with those things I'm uncertain of. I'm certain of him, so I'll be content with the things that I'm uncertain of, those things I can't understand, those things that hurt, those things that are painful, the things that just don't fit into my plan for happiness. There's no reason for me to complain about it because I know him. I'm certain of him, and he's going to turn it into good. Job succeeded because of his faith and obedience. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. We sing a song about that, don't we? Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And we see that he had peace because of his faith. Look in chapter number 19 and verse number 26. This is probably somebody's favorite verse. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself. Oh, you can bury my body and let the worms eat it. Doesn't make any difference because I'm going to see God. That's the kind of faith he had, and that's the kind of peace it brings to a person whenever their faith is in God. Now go back to our original text in chapter 23, but this time look at verse number 12. I'll put the pieces together here and I'll be through. Verse 12. He says, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. Well, there's the obedience part and the trust part. But listen, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He's telling us that the reason for his success was faith in an unchanging God who never does anything wrong. You say, well, I'd like to have that kind of faith. Boy, that would really help me deal with the issues I'm going through if I had that kind of faith. Well, he just told you where you can find it. He says, I have esteemed, what, the words, the words of his mouth. 
the word of God, I've esteemed that more important than my necessary food. For a lot of people, there's nothing to them more important than eating. And for all of us, eating is important. You, I mean, you've got to eat to live physically. But Job is saying it, it's more important for me to have the word of God than to have food for my physical body. You want the kind of faith that Job had? The kind of faith that will give you peace and joy? The kind of faith that will get you through anything you'll ever have to face in life? You want that kind of faith? This is where you get it. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can have that kind of faith. If you're a child of God and get in the word of God, you can have that kind of faith that will get you through all of the difficulties. The question is, will you trust God? Will you put your faith in God? You should, but will you? You see, you have a choice in this. God's not going to kick down the door of your life and force himself upon you and make you believe, as it were, make you trust him. He can sure make you uncomfortable until you do. I'll say that. But it, basically, it's your choice. You're either going to trust God or you're not going to trust God. I've never met anyone yet that regretted putting their faith in the Lord. So easy for us to get confused about what's really most valuable and what's not. Many years ago, when I, before I was saved and working for the Missouri State Highway Department, I was an inspector on a job. We were making a bypass, but for the bypass to go through, they had to build what called a shoe fly. It's, it's a temporary railroad uh, so they could... You know, we could build the bypass and then they could redo the railroad later on. And just about every day, there was a little boy with Down syndrome. I say a little boy. He was, I'm, he was probably 25, I don't know, maybe 30. It was hard to tell. He had Down syndrome. And uh, his name was Bobby. Bobby would come out there and usually had his old guitar, and he'd try to sing. You couldn't hardly understand anything he was saying. I mean, you know, he had trouble pronouncing his words. But I'll never forget all of us ruffian guys out there that had the construction crew itself and the state inspectors and all of us. It was, all, it was kind of a joke to everyone. Bobby had talked about going to church. He went to church. His mom and dad took him to church. Somebody said, sing us a song, Bobby. He always sang the same song over and over again. It's only, I, I, don't, I don't know if he didn't know any other songs or what, but it's always the same one. I didn't know any Christian songs. I'd never read the Bible. I, 
I can't tell you the number of times that even as hardened as I was, later on I would think about that and think about that poor kid. How sad. And it wasn't until after I got saved that I realized little Bobby had something I didn't, I didn't even have. And that song he would sing Tempted and tried with oft made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long while there are others living around us. Never molested, though in the wrong. Farther along, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother, live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. I, I don't know, I don't know what hard trial that you might be going through sitting there this morning thinking about the message today and thinking about, I could, I could call out different names of the people that I know. You've suffered great loss and lost loved ones, and there are those of you that are fought health problems and still fighting health problems, and it seems like the battle is never going to end. It'll never be over, never be like it used to be, and on and on and on. I've often said I wish I could just wave a magic wand and you'd be 18 years old again and healthy and strong and everything. I, I can't do that. God won't do that. But if you put your faith in him, he'll use everything in your life for the best possible purpose for an eternal purpose good and if you're here today and and you don't know Christ as your savior you say well I, I, preacher I'd like I'd, I'd like to be a Christian what have I got to do trust him trust him that's all you have to do just put your trust in him your faith just simply believe that the Lord will do what he promised. And he promised to save all of those that accept his, his son. I'm praying you will. And if you're here today struggling with something and, and it just seems like that you just, you're never going to get through it, let me challenge you to start a 
faith-building project. This book I hold in my hand might look lifeless to you. Don't kid yourself. This book is alive. It's alive. It, it says so. And it proves so. And you get in this book, and I promise you, if, if you're a child of God and you get in the Word of God, it'll make you more like the Son of God. And it'll help you through every difficulty that you're going through. Father, thank you for your Word. For the power that it has, the direction that it gives, the comfort that it provides. How we thank you, Lord, for making it available to us. Lord, when we think back on the story of Job, we can't help but be reminded that he didn't even have, he didn't even have what we've got. Certainly, Lord, you spoke to him, and he treasured your word. But he didn't have all of these great promises that we have in the New Testament, and yet he put his faith entirely in you. And Lord, we have so much reason to believe and no reason whatsoever to reject your word and I pray this morning that some lost soul will trust Christ as their savior and Lord for that person today that is just so troubled and it seems like that the problem they have is going to be a, a lifelong burden upon them and God, even if you never change our circumstances, change us, Lord. Change us. Make us more like our Savior who was nailed to the cross without any complaint. And he did it all for us. Make us more like Jesus this morning. And remind us often of what we have as a joint heir of Jesus Christ. For we beg it in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing this morning,